Welcome to Episode 8 of The Life and Times of the Osborne Man. I am your host, Holly Hazard. We pick up this week with letters from the Briggs family in 1920 with several, not from the patriarch of the family, John Briggs, but rather with the many letters and cards written home to Earlville to Frank Briggs, John's 16-year-old son, who is quite ill. In 1920, John and Sue are in their 40s. Marion, their eldest, is in her senior year of college at Syracuse University. Elizabeth, or Betty, is a smart, gregarious freshman co-ed at Syracuse University. Frank is a junior in high school, and Louise, the youngest child, is a sophomore in high school. My guess, from the extreme concern and the weeks of postcards and letters to Frank, that Frank was either sick with scarlet fever or the Spanish flu, both of which were raging at this time. Some of the letters referred to his ailment as, quote, blood poisoning, end quote. I have over a dozen postcards printed with get well wishes and several letters from sisters, aunts, girls in his class, and family friends urging Frank to get well. You can read each of them by going to our website, The Osborne Man, and scrolling to the letters in April of 1920. I have selected a few letters for this broadcast to give you a taste of the concern of friends and family. First is a letter from a girl I presume is a school friend, and then Aunt Lil, Sue's sister. We'll hear more from Lil as I have a number of letters from her. She and her husband, Vic, recently moved from Philadelphia to a house in the country where they seem to have taken up farming. Marion writes two letters. In one, she refers to Frank as Buster, her nickname for him, and another she calls herself Alice, which must be his nickname for her. And finally, a letter from a family friend, Clyde, who heads up the YMCA and Coscob. Enjoy! Letter from Ruth Newton to Frank. Hello, Frank. Since I can't see you to talk, I will try to talk on this card. We are all thinking of you every minute. Every time anyone goes up to town, we call us to close the door to see how Frank is, so you can see you aren't forgotten. I haven't been out of the house for two days. We'll start in by bringing this to you. We all hope you will soon be better, and perhaps this will help pass a minute or two of time. We know what it is to be sick, and you must keep up your courage. While I was at Norfield, Mother sent me a card with a verse on it. I found it very helpful when I was homesick, so perhaps it will help you a bit. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Corinthians 10.13 Has a lion blocked your way? Don't back down. Is it fierce and grim and gray? Walk right up to it. Keep your grid up, never flinch. When your best is done and you have fair him for a clinch, he'll surely turn and run. Ruth N. Morning Light, May 1st, 1920. From Aunt Bess. Saturday morning. Dear Frank, this is my May basket to you as well as an early natal day greeting. I realize you are 16 tomorrow, but believe me, you will be more than surprised at how soon those figures will be reversed. Ask Dad. Card for Mr. and Mrs. CFF to Frank. Undated. Dear Frank, many happy returns of the day. May your joys be added, your sorrows subtracted, your cares divided, and your pleasures multiplied. Sincerely, Mr. and Mrs. CFF. 
Broadview, Monday evening. Our dear Frank, I did not write a word yesterday. Uncle Vic put flooring down in the dining room in the kitchen Saturday and made his back worse. So when he got up yesterday morning, it almost killed him to bend over or pick anything up, so I had to go out when he fed the chickens and do the bending over for him. He was going to have Glisteo come over in the afternoon, but by noon he felt better and decided maybe if he took a good stiff walk in the sun, it would help him. So he went to see if the man he had engaged to do the plowing was coming, and when. Here's so much rain, we could not have had ours plowed before anyway. It did do Vic's back a great deal of good. The man will come this week if it don't rain hard first. Vic did not see Clisteo at Doylestown as he was away. I asked the lady in the paper store at Doylestown about Clisteo, and here it is. Her doctor, and she thinks it would be hard to find anyone better. She never had Dr. English. One reason, and I guess the only, why we did not get a Ford with a self-starter was two different men who had them told Vic not to get them, that they were always out of order and a nuisance. We knew we were not very near town when we bought, but the trolley and the train was supposed to be near. If I had consented to Vic's idea, we would not have bought here. It was not from choice in the first place, but took what we could get. Vic wanted to store our things in Washington. He kept on working till he ran across what we wanted. I said no. We might as well go and then look afterwards. I know if our things once got stored... Washington would be good night to our ever finding what we wanted. It is pleasant all round here, and yesterday I enjoyed the walk. All the farms look like pictures, well kept up, and buildings also, and now so many fruit trees in bloom. Oh, Frank, I did not finish last night. I could not think. I was busy holding two chickens. We are bringing twenty in this lot, two setups without hen, and have them in a box in the house at night. Well, there were two that cried so much I took them out and they would lie so still on my wrist, covered with my other hand. And when I would try to put them down, they would stick and hang and cry. One is small and looks like a canary bird. Toward tonight it cried, so I brought it in and put it in my apron pocket where it stayed a while. But it wanted for me to hold it, so I did for a while. Then I went out to put it down, and it ran up and cuddled down inside the neck of my dress where it stayed while I tacked up netting on a bedroom window. At supper time, the other I held last night yelped, so I took it and curled right down in my lap. Then another got to yelping so loud, Uncle Vic put it in his overall pocket, and it sit there with its head sticking out while he ate supper. After supper, I sat down on the kitchen floor and let them all out. It was bedtime for them. Four curled in my hands, and the rest tried to get under my knee, some under my apron, and when Vic came in, he could see only two or three heads sticking out. Oh, yes, we are having some fun with them. You see, the mother of part of these did not want to take care of them. She wanted to set again, so Vic has put 18 eggs under her now. If the man plows this week, Vic will have to limber up a good deal. He have been out in the sun fussing around today, and his back still feels better. Glad you have such an appetite, but it is awful when everything is so high. I can't say anything, for Vic and I are not very slow these days when it comes to eating. Have not done so much today, but I am sleepy as usual. Been a beautiful day, but a little cool for the middle of May. 
The old-timers here say they never knew of such cold, backward spring. Well, I guess I'll close and go to get. Love to all from Vic and Lil. April 25th, 1920. Dear Buster, A week ago today, just about this time, I think I was squeezing oranges. Wish I could be squeezing them for you today, or have you graduated from that diet? You must have quite a collection of eats waiting for you by now. Have you got all over the idea of Silver Bay? You write to Horace and have him write a letter recommendation at the same time you send your letter if you send one. What did you think of the looks of the boathouse? You'd better wait till the next summer after this anyhow to go up. I went down and played my first game of tennis Thursday and it was swell. I'm still lame though. What was our court like when you were down? I hope it's not all weeds again, and I wish we could have some cinders drawn in. I don't believe the grass and weeds would grow as fast in that. Jiminy, but it's cold here today, and I walked down and back from church. I suppose you and I have heard dear Mr. Monk for the last time. May 4 is going to be moving up day, and if things go anything the way they did last year, there will be quite a few things happening around here this week. You know, it was at this time last year that some people got expelled for writing class numerals on a fellow's forehead in chemistry with acid. The chancellor also fined every fellow in the class $5 for the damage they did around. The frosh had Sims Hall all barbed wired up to keep the softs in, and policemen were even around every so often. Well, if anything happens this year, I'll have to write and tell you about it. Let me know if you need any more taken care of. Oodles of love, Marion. Letter from Alice to Frank, undated. Dear Frank, I dislike making excuses, but really think these are not what I ordered. They were the only thing Dad could get in Hamilton. Please understand that just as many thoughts and good wishes accompany these as would a larger pot of flowers. I suppose your people have told you that the freshman and sophomore classes have organized. I understand that George D. is your president. They act as if they really meant to do something. I will have to start for school, or you won't get these until you're all well. We all hope to see you before long. Very sincerely, Alice. Letter to Frank from Clyde a family friend who runs a YMCA camp in Cos Cobb, Connecticut. May 3rd, 1920. Dear Frank, I'm just as sorry for you as I can be with this old blood poisoning. Since we first heard of it, Gertrude and I have thought about you a great deal. You've always been such an active lad that I can imagine just how hard it is to lie there and suffer. Do they give you what you want to eat, or do you have to diet? Poor kid. Wish I could see you. Baseball season coming on too, but never mind. Keep a good, strong heart. That's the important thing. Three of my little girls, all except the youngest, are down with the measles today. They are blotched up for fair. They look like little painted Indians. They have just nicely gotten over the flu and chicken pox, but I told them to hurry up and get over the measles, for they've got mumps and scarlet fever to have yet and they won't have time to have them all this season if they spend too much time on any one disease. 
Your father must miss you on the farm these spring days. Is he at home now? I wrote that you could be here near New London and join one of our boys' gymnasium classes. Do you remember Mr. Young, our physical director who came out to Earlville with me at time of Donald's wedding last summer? The boys here think everything of him. He is planning for summer camp now. Me dear, you plan to come out here as soon as you get to feeling better, and then there is next month, go out to our YMCA boys camp. It is near here. Last summer, I spent a week there in camp on social stunts. Minstrel Jones and I had a grand old time. I think that you would too. Better plan on it. I heard from Stuart Young the other day. He is the only one who has written me of the scout troop in some time. How are all the other fellows? Well, we shall watch the males anxiously to hear of your improvement. Remember me to all your people. Sincerely, Clyde. P.S. We appreciate the calendar that your people sent. It came when we were all sick in bed with flu, and the scene was just what we needed. It's a beautiful picture. These are just a few of the many cards Frank received over a month period in April and May 1920. He did recover and went on to live a long and prosperous life. He attended Dartmouth University, married, became a journalist, and a beloved great-uncle. He died of natural causes at the age of 75 in 1979. Of course, he doesn't know any of this yet. I find many fascinating things about this project in addition to the actual communication. I gather little tidbits of the subtle differences in life and language between then and now just by living a bit of each day with this family through their correspondence. And one difference is the use of the word family. They don't. In several letters from John, and now in these letters to Frank, one from Marion and one from a family friend, Clyde, they refer to Frank's immediate family as his, quote, people, end quote. Today, we would simply say family. Because one of the letters is from a friend and not his family, I suspect that this is a cultural phenomenon of the times and not confined just to the Briggses. Also, Frank received many cards wishing him well in his convalescence. Most of them were postcards. I realize now that this is likely because the differential between the cost to mail a card versus a letter must have been substantial and significant to these middle-class friends and family. Just as we have Get Well cards today, his mailbox was filled with pre-printed Get Well postcards with pretty flowers and some sappy poems. The voice of Marion was narrated by Cricket Clayton. The voice of Aunt Bess and Aunt Lou by Carol McCarran. The voice of Ruth Newton was narrated by Jane Materna. The voice of Clyde was narrated by Rick Clayton. Join us next week in 1920 when John is back on the road for the Osborne Company. His sales are not going well. He doesn't know it yet, but he's facing the headwinds of the other depression, the one that hit the U.S. economy in 1920 and 1921. If you're enjoying this podcast, could you please help us by rating the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leaving a review? This podcast is produced by Holly Hazard. Music is provided by Escalante Music from Pond 5. Thank you for listening. <laughs>